1: Today, I have the distinct honor and pleasure to introduce you to one of my absolute favorite people on this planet. Jamie Forbes is the founder of Forbes Legacy Advisors, and even more importantly, of course, he's my brother. But that's not why I invited him on the show today. I invited him because he's doing such amazing work in the world, and I wanted to share it all with you. So welcome, Jamie.
2: Thank you for having me, Heidi.
1: You have gone through many different reinventions in your lifetime, in your career, and it's been really exciting to watch them. But I think one of the more exciting things that you're doing is really a culmination of all of those pieces with your work with legacy advising and teaching people about the cultural philanthropy. Can you tell people a little bit about what that means and what your work is right now?
2: Sure. At the heart of what I do is really helping families figure out how to connect with things that they care about and bring that to life in their charitable giving. So I'm a philanthropy advisor, but I'm actually much more than that because, in order for families to really work together in the work around philanthropy, it's really important for them to communicate well so they can make decisions together. And so I work with families really to help them understand how they listen, how they communicate well, and, and how they make decisions together. And that flows into lots more work around culture, around generational transitions. And it's really, really interesting work and, and lots of fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And most of our listeners actually don't really know about my history or our family history. And that has a lot to do with with the work that you're doing. So some people know what we say when we mean come from an old New England family, but what does that really mean? And how does that really speak to the work
2: that you're doing now? Yeah, so we trace our lineage back to the, our great, great, great grandfather, who at age 17, went off sailing the seas on a clipper ship as a merchant in the China trade. And he was fairly successful in that work and came back and took some of the proceeds from, from his time in, in China and invested in railroads and telephone and other large infrastructure projects. And and amassed a fairly sizable fortune, which he took great care in passing on to his kids. and. And it did a lot, really, both intuitively and somewhat by circumstantial accident that has really kept our family connected across the generations. So we're the sixth generation of what's now a, an eight-generation family that has has really bucked the odds and stayed connected together. And through that experience and our our connection across generations, I bring a lot of my lived experience and our family experience to the work that I do because it's very rare that families remain connected more than three generations, and particularly families with wealth. There's an old adage of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, and that's typically the pattern that that families create when they have the first generation that makes the wealth, the second generation that generally enjoys the wealth and the third generation that spends the wealth. And we've been successful as a family of, of really maintaining both the personal connection and, and also bringing with us a lot of the learnings that, that came, that have come across and translated across generations. So, so again, bringing a lot of our personal experience to the work and having observed and worked with many other families, I bring, I bring that to the work as well.
1: I think it's so fascinating. I mean, just the whole concept of legacy. When I meet new people, they're always so fascinating. I'm like, oh, my cousin, I have a cousin here. I have a cousin there. I mean, I in our family, we consider, you know, our fifth cousins are just cousins. They're just all connected. And I think there's something that's really powerful in the common culture in our family that is very unique. And part of that is sort of a certain value system that has been passed on from generation to generation. It's not just money that's passed on. It's There's so much more Integrated into that, and from what I understand, the stories that you've told me about your work, it's really helping create that shared value system in something that can live on beyond you and and
2: yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah,
2: you know, I talk a lot about shared shared values that trans that that families you know feel are really important to transfer from generation to generation, and also broaden the lens of what wealth means to people. So initially, we think of wealth typically as financial wealth, but there is so much more to it, uh, particularly as your family grows. The human capital side of a family's balance sheet, at the end of the day, is what people care about, much more um, so than the dollars in the bank. And so I really help focus on the human assets Side of uh, of the balance sheet, and um, it's really exciting and fun, and and yet also very intangible and hard to describe. But again, if you think about what is most important to you in your life, it's the individuals in your life and the relationships you have, much more so than the financial assets. So I like to think of financial assets as an enabler to support the human assets, and so that's a lot of what I talk about and do with with my clients.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's, there's so much to that piece, that human aspect that we forget about, you know, for example, in, in our family, we have everything from, you know, teachers and artists. And, you know, we've got like a flamethrower fire dancer guy all the way to, you know, major producers of TV and performing artists and entertainers and, and, you know, very wealthy and, and successful uh, finance people. But it's It's the shared culture that keeps the legacy alive, and I think that's the piece that we sometimes forget because we focus so much on the financial side of wealth. So to bring the conversation a little bit more around to sort of the whole concept of the digital self and how technology has changed that, I mean, even in our family, I remember spending summers with family growing up, and you'd see them in the summer, and then you had no idea what they did when, you know, during the the rest of the year, and then you'd see them again in the summer. And it was sort of, oh, well, that's, you know, just that person, like, that's the whole persona. And now that we have things like Facebook, um, and LinkedIn, we all are much more interconnected in a different way. And I'm sure there's other tools and other things that you've experienced, but how does that impact your work and, and the way that you see legacy building?
2: Well, I think in many ways, of course, it depends how you use all of these tools. But for the most part, as you talked about, you know, when there is distance between family members, those tools can be really useful to remain connected, whether it's a private Facebook group or even just an email listserv. And we use those tools. And they're great ways to do everything from sort of share photos and videos to ask Questions about you know, hey, I'm traveling here. Is anyone in the family uh, able to put me up? And that's a great way of just simply using technology to to maintain relationships when historically that might have been more challenging. I, I think you know one of the one of the challenges that we all face with with technology is that face to face interactions, which are so critical in terms of building you know long term relationships we have less of that in our world and technology can both enable or supplement that but it also i think partic- depending on which generation you grew up in you embrace that more or less and and so just recognizing where people are in their uh, their comfort with technology and and using it for for what it can do and recognizing at the end of the day, particularly as it relates to, um, you know, deepening relationships that there's really, there's no replacement for the face-to-face interaction.
1: Absolutely. And I, I just, as you were talking, it was reminding me of a moment of sitting or walking in the room and seeing you sit with grandfather with a handheld recorder. And you were just asking him to share stories from his years of, you know, working on the boats. And then, you know, I think you even covered some of the stuff when he was down in Argentina. And I mean, there's just all these different stories. And, and those are so critical for us understanding our past, so that we can continue that kind of culture and legacy going forward. So it's not just the social media tools, but it's, it's an ability to, to capture those stories in a beautiful way, I think, and, and make them available to everybody, not just the person that has the cassette in hand. Right.
2: Yeah. I was laughing actually remembering that it was a cassette, which, you know, our kids probably have not used, but uh, yeah, I mean using the tools at the time that are available and taking those, those spoken tradition, the, the, the storytelling and spoken, Word that used to be how we shared those those va- shared and passed along those values and making sure we capture them, either for our own purpose or for future generations.
1: Yeah, and I, I want I don't want to forget to share a little bit about some of the incredible work that you and your whole family, your immediate family, have done with service trips. From a very early stage, you've really sort of taught your girls about the importance of giving back and doing service. And that's really created this this very beautiful relationship with them with service. And that to them it's it's both fun, but it I mean it's something that sort of feeds them. When you hear them talking about it, they light up. They're just it's like it's their best time of year. And even your daughter Alden is off doing that now in in Asia. So these kinds of things are are they part of the tools that you help teach families to, to use to create those bonds? And and if so, what are some of the recommendations that you provide your clients when it comes to things like that?
2: Typically, my clients come to me with a desire to get more in touch with their their giving. And every family has a different solution for that. Some um, have already created a donor advised fund or foundation and they have the basis for, the, for their giving. Others are looking for opportunities to volunteer and they're not really clear how to get involved or how to match something, you know, an opportunity with their interests. And so a lot of what I do is just listen and help them understand some of the opportunities that come from their past, their act, their the things that they have done together. In our family, we we had been looking since we started having kids for something to do with our kids, and and it really it happened almost by accident, or at least the opportunity was presented for us that in a way that we could have easily overlooked. And we, you know, I I actually call it accidental philanthropy as I talk about it because it started literally um, as a vacation and it turned a vacation in the Caribbean. Sounds great. It really was. And it was so much fun. We decided to go back and our kids, while we we're, you know, they were, they were three and six at the time, they they connected as kids do with local kids sitting on the beach and just playing. And that ultimately turned into our kids sharing the books that we had brought down for them. We, our kids quickly re- recognized that their new friends didn't have books of their own and felt like it would be wonderful if they could leave these books that we had brought with their friends. And so that, you know, made them feel good as a, as a sort of a parting gift. And again, we just had so much fun, we decided to go back and that turned into us wondering, well, where did these kids go to school? And that turned into a visit to the school and a tour of the school and recognizing that the school didn't have a library. And one thing led to another, and over a period of eight years, our girls collected library books from friends, and, from friends in our local community and local schools that were changing their, their library selection. And we ended up shipping 50, 50 gallon drums filled with with um, with books and raising some money in our local community to hire a carpenter down on the island to build bookshelves. And it was a very organic process that in many ways we were just observing what our you know what lit up our kids and and then just trying to facilitate the process. And it was incredibly powerful for for us to watch our kids really have this experience of feeling like they could they could have an impact in the community that's just an example in you know for our family but it's the kind of thing that I try to listen for and help facilitate with my clients it's not not always in fact not often travel related but it's really just about finding the clues and um, and helping helping them uncover things that they care about and things that that connect with them as a family.
1: Well, and I would think that that's really scalable when you look at sort of how you want to design things whether you're a startup and you want to make sure that your that your company is going to be leaving a good footprint somewhere and that you know that you're giving back to the community that you're in or it's really just Teaching that deep listening for where is there a need that is something that I can accommodate that is a win-win? Because obviously you guys all really gain from that as well, just by how good it feels to make that difference. I think that that's, that's something that we, we sometimes forget. We think philanthropy is really something that's only for families or foundations when, especially when you've got, you know, smaller businesses or just you know businesses that are just starting out if they really want to do it in a way that's sustainable and really balancing all the different pillars of of participation on this planet. So I want to actually before we go too much into the philanthropies because we could talk we could do the entire show on philanthropy of course and there's a lot of really cool stuff there but I also want to understand sort of your journey in coming to, because you've done a bunch of different things coming to here, and you've had a little, a few detours along the way. That, and I wouldn't even call them detours, because in in a way, it's sort of taking the the road less traveled, as as we're familiar with. That sometimes actually leads to a a clearer path um, when you come to the other side. So, can you? Share a little bit of those stories with us, and and how that that came to be.
2: Uh, do you mean in terms of career path and, and what brought me to where I am today in terms of my work?
1: Yeah, I mean a little bit of both. You know, sort of the early stuff you can probably go fairly quickly through, but I think even more recently there was some pretty powerful stuff that happened with social media, and I'll let you go into that. But that uh, that was sort of you know through traditional media that really made you. Take a pause from the legacy piece for a bit.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I started my career not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I started in banking. It was a great experience, but not a good fit. Spent 16 years in marketing and communication roles and learned a lot in that experience. And And the one thing that was missing for me was a connection to a mission-based Work and wasn't really until I started consulting on my own that I picked up some nonprofit clients and, and really felt a connection to what they were doing. And that really sort of led me down a very different path. Ultimately, I started a consulting group with several others focused on the nonprofit sector. And what I realized in that work was that I was really drawn towards the donor conversations, the conversations with people who were funding the organizations. That ultimately led to, you know, the the work that I'm doing now with uh, w- with philanthropy. But as you say, along the way, I had a couple experiences that really I think have been inflection points in my life, and we all have them. One of them was was a cancer diagnosis, and that that really. Got me to pause and, and think about my life in a in a different way. Uh, I was 46 at the time and healthy, other than this diagnosis. And you know, in those moments, you you think, okay, well, I don't know how much time I have left, but I I hope it's a lot of time, and I want to make sure that I'm going to do that. I'm really committed to doing to uh, the work that I do. I want to make sure it's it feels meaningful and start thinking about. Legacy and how you want to be remembered or might be remembered, and you know that really forced me to to reprioritize some of the things that I was focusing on and another uh, inflection point in my life was deciding to to share my experience as a sexual assault uh, survivor with with the school that I went to um which led down the path of going through an investigation process with with the school participating in that investigation process and and, and observing firsthand what what was really I felt a, a humanity gap between the very good and dedicated people that I had been working with at the school and the sort of sanitized communication that was coming from the school about the experience. And I just saw that as a huge missed opportunity to rebuild the relationship with uh, with anyone who had been harmed. And so that ultimately led me to do some work with schools, which I currently uh, do as well, uh, consulting to help them understand how to create a safe env- environment for survivors to come forward and work with survivors to to navigate the process of of uh, accessing uh, their healing but as it relates to social media the what happened to me which was a really very powerful experience when i decided to come forward as a as a survivor it was a very personal experience as you might imagine but one of the things that really helped me overcome the the fear of the unknown and and just recognizing that it was going to be a long, uh, arduous process of digging up a lot of unpleasant memories was the point at which I realized there was an opportunity to use my experience as a way to help change the conversation about sexual assault and misconduct. And that became an incredibly motivating Opportunity for me, and so I decided. In fact, after I had come forward to the school as a survivor, I decided to make a public declaration on Facebook. And and it was a scary moment uh, when I pressed pressed send and posted posted that that acknowledgement and recognition. And what was amazing to me helped really reinforce something that I bring into my work today, which is the power of vulnerability. And when, uh, after I hit that uh, send button, and uh, it just instantly, the responses that I got from, from people was incredibly powerful. And it helped me overcome all of the anxiety that I had. And uh, so it's a little bit of a long story that to answer what the you may have been prompting me for, but it, it's it's all of those experiences that, you know, I bring to my work and uh, and technology did play a, a role in, in all of that.
1: Uh, absolutely. And so I think the, the only other piece that, that I wanted to point out is I remember in a conversation that we had where you were talking about Why, what motivated you to come forward? And you were saying that, you know, this is an experience that you had when you were the same age that your daughters were at the time when you came forward. And you were like, I'm doing this work in teaching about values and legacy. How can I stand here and hold my tongue and say that it's okay to not say something when I want my daughters to be able to feel like it's? They need to speak out if something happens. They need to feel supported when something happens. And they're, of course, on social media, so they see that as well, and they see the outpouring of support that you got when you did express that vulnerability and share. And I think that was, you know, having a son that's the same age as your daughter was incredibly powerful, and it created a space where, from a secondary response, made it easier in so many different formats to be able to have that conversation with my children, with friends, with whatever, you know, to just sort of say, like, did you, have you heard this? Have you seen this? Have you ever experienced this? You know, what are your feelings on that? And it was it just made it a safe space. And I think that was, it was much more than you're just sharing your vulnerability. I think you really accomplished what you were trying to do. You also got the support, of course, that you had hoped to get. But what you did is you created a space where that conversation was okay to have, not only okay to have, but was encouraged to have. And that is a big, big shift. And I, I commend you for that and thank you for that because there's many of us that are survivors as well that have have used that as an initiation to other conversations
2: mm. to help others. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I think the other piece, and back to, you know, as it's related to social media, I decided to make this declaration on social media because it, it helped satisfy for me, that, that desire to, to spark a conversation. And I had no idea really where that would go, but as you say, you know, I certainly heard from lots of other people that it, that it, it gave them an opportunity to share with their own kids or other family members, just an opening to, to a conversation that is so important to have, whether it's just about creating awareness or, or sharing, sharing, you know, your own experience. And social media, you know, in this case, for me, Facebook was a was a wonderful tool for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, t- uh, just to, as a note of caution, for those of you listening, there's also, you know, there's always two sides to it. There's some people that will react negatively, there's, it's, it's important to be clear on your own boundaries when you are going to use some type of a tool in this and, and like that. And it's just, But don't share something you're not willing to share openly because it will, once it's out there, it's out there. So, and that doesn't mean refrain from sharing it, but it just means... Do it consciously. Be aware of what you're doing. And while we're on that topic about conscious use of technology, I want to do a little plug because my new book has just launched. Woohoo! Digital Self-Mastery Across Generations is now available at Amazon and Barons and Nobles and all the other online bookstores. It's done as a print-on-demand so that I could get it out faster. So it's available everywhere that they have online book selling. And you'll get it in within just a couple of days. It's a fabulous work wonderful technology that we're able to do that now. You don't have to wait for weeks when they run out of stock. But it talks a lot about that, of of really just understanding how to build good behaviors around our technology and and build proper boundaries and, and create a space that supports our ability to be human rather than becoming destructive. So, And it's really just understanding what your relationship with technology is and how that impacts the way that you use it and the way that people receive it on the other end. So just a little shameless plug for the new book, but just wanted to share that with you. It seemed like an opportune moment. And now back to our show. So, Jamie, I want to talk a little bit about you because you're an incredible athlete, always have been, and you do a lot of really great things in terms of self-care. And I think that's really important as a business leader, as a father, as a general human being. What kinds of tools do you use? Where have you found that technology has supported your ability to thrive, whether it's apps you use or or devices you use? What kinds of things have you found have been really helpful for you?
2: Well, I start my day every day with um, a brief meditation and everyone's got their own practice for that. In my case, I don't use technology, but I know there are really great apps out there that, that people find really useful. And I, I also spend a lot of time or uh, try to exercise every day and, and, Sometimes that's as simple as going for a run, and there's not a lot of technology there, except sometimes a heart rate monitor. But I also am I'm an avid cyclist and uh, use both uh, a couple of different apps for for that as a way to kind of combination of track track my progress, but also inspire my my competitive streak to um, to just keep track of what's going on and share with others. What I'm, what I'm doing. So, those are the. And of course, you know, I, I, I use the phone a lot. And um, one thing that I, I spend a lot of time in the car. And I have recognized that I actually absorb books much better when I listen to them. So I've become an avid listener of books. And the car is a great, efficient way for me to consume those books. Which means that I'm. You know, rather than just staring at the windshield, making sure that I stay in my lane, I'm actually able to digest a lot more than I was when I was reading books. So that's been a really exciting thing. And it's, it's actually given me access to different books that I might never have read. So that's been kind of a fun, fun thing as well. And I think that's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm also a real, I gravitate to analog things. Um, I play guitar. And I really love that as a way to just have a tangible connection to to music.
1: Well and, and actually, but to your point with the uh, with the music, I mean your your daughters are both very musically inclined as well. And one of the things that I love because, we live on opposite sides of the country. Is that occasionally you guys will post little clips and and sound bites of you singing with the girls or whatever, and you know, or them doing shows, and and uh, the fact that we can do that with such good quality sound, and and in a way that you know you can listen to with a headset on and it's not irritating you and. You know, or the fact that like with those cassettes where you were, you know, we were recording grandfather and who knows where those cassettes are, but probably they haven't been converted to digital. Hint hint hint.
2: think <laughs> <laughs> I have them somewhere.
1: Somewhere. I know we all have something like that. And there are ways to do that. You don't have to do it yourself. But the point is that the the ability to actually digitize things so that they make them more shareable is really I think just an amazing connection tool for families for friends to help us feel like we're a little bit closer even though there's a time distance and a physical distance away from each other and like uh-huh. I love the fact that you know when your daughter's all the way in Thailand, she's still texting me and saying, "Hey, how was your day like I would, no, you know, incredible. It, otherwise it would have, you know, had this been 20 years ago, I mean, I remember when I studied in Austria, I think I, you know, wrote a letter once a week, wrote a letter once a week, Right. you know, <laughs> maybe once a month I had a phone call. So, uh, and I certainly didn't write to my aunts and uncles. <laughs>
2: That's so, right.
1: Yeah. It's just, a, I think that there, there are different ways that we've really benefited that we sort of forget that it's technology that's making that happen. It just sort of Mm -hmm. has become, even in such a short period of time, has uh, connected us a little bit more. So hopefully we can continue to apply that. Well, I know that that you're doing some really really cool stuff right now and i we, i just want it to get more out into the world because i think that we all could use a little bit of work as we go into 2019 really thinking about what kind of legacy we're leaving and what kind of value system we are creating in our families and what kinds of things we can maybe do a little bit better so to as we're sort of kicking off this year with this podcast I would love to get just sort of a couple of your favorite tips for you know sort of getting people going as we start this coming year to really think about our legacy and our how we make that thrive.
2: Wow, you're really putting me on the spot, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> you know I think there are some simple and more there's a range of possibilities i I tend to focus on the simple ones because because they're they're often easier to execute and and take less time. You know, if there is an opportunity to create a conversation around the table about uh, that that reflects on last year, you know, sometimes it's a simple we, we do it on a daily basis when we get together there's the highs and lows for the day but but just to look at it from, you know, the last year, some highs and lows for the year which really can spark conversation and depending on you know, if you, if you give it the right space and, and allow people to really be thoughtful, there's an opportunity to, to think about how relevant that is for, for the upcoming year. It can be, you know, simple and, and silly or it could be deep and really meaningful and, you know, encourage a little bit of both in that conversation. But I, I think that's the that's one, you know, on the easier side. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, the, on the longer term side of things or things that take a little bit more time, you know, oftentimes what I do is write a letter to my kids at the end of the year that is kind of an observation of or a reflection of our experiences and things that I really admire about them and things that I hope they will, they will think about as they uh, march into the next year take some time but it's it's really it's meaningful for me to to reflect and and I hear from them that it's something they enjoy as well and that can be you know in any way that you like some people might maybe you want to write a song maybe you want to do some art that that brings that to life in a different way but it's really just about pausing and reflecting and I think at the end of the day back to you know one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the conversation what we really care about are the relationships uh, much more so than what's in our bank account, and and so just to take time to to nourish those. Certainly at the end of the year, and ideally throughout the year. But uh, those are just some some quick simple thoughts.
1: I love it, and I think those are really important. There, you know, you say, oh well, you just do that, but sometimes just doing that doesn't happen. So it's really important to just just take the time to actually do it and and take action on that and if it's easier for you to write a text to just say i love you i think you're awesome i'm proud of you you know it's a start so right. I, I think it's something that it's it's a it's a muscle that we have to practice gratitude and appreciation and just acknowledging each other and i think the one other piece that i would like to add which i've heard you say before which is learning how to ask for help because giving is something that is you know for some people there are more givers and some people are more takers but some people particularly people that are that are natural givers they have a really hard time asking and it can help teach the givers to understand and to listen if The givers actually take the time to say, I need, even if it's like, you know, I could really use like just once a week, someone give me a hug. Like, (laughs) you know, and it doesn't have to be a big ask to mom. Like I could really, it would be really nice if someone would do the dishes like once a week. You know, (laughs) for some families, that's a big ask. But I think it's important to stretch that muscle too. It's not just about being grateful, it's also recognizing, you know, and showing your own vulnerability. It doesn't have to be sharing a social media post about something traumatic that happens. It can be something as simple as just saying, we need to connect, and we both can give and take. And so I'm sort of putting words into your mouth only from previous conversations, but I just think it's important for us to recognize both sides of that. So being the obnoxious sister that I am, I'm just going to say it for you.
2: (laughs) Great. Now I don't have to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Jamie, it has been such a treat having you on the show. And I do hope you'll come back and join me another time. And we definitely need to get you having your own podcast, because I think there are there are so many more conversations that need to be had around building a legacy and the different ways that that can be expressed and the different ways that that we can create that change that actually makes the world a nicer place. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being you. And thank you for joining me today.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's been it's
1: been fun. Yeah, super fun. Well, and thank you, Digital Selfers, for joining us today. It has been my honor and my pleasure. And if you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes in Season 2. We're now live with Season 2. Super exciting. And yeah, don't forget to uh, share it with your friends and review so it gets bigger visibility and so everybody knows where we're at and what's happening in the world of the evolving digital self. So thank you for your time and bye-bye for now.
0: Thank you for joining us for the evolving digital self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.